Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. So good to be with you. I have this. Today's an interesting day. We're just shooting this from another studio. So now I'm looking right at all of you. I feel like your father, and I've called a family meeting. (laughs) Welcome to the program. Today, we've got a great subject, a, a topic that is near and dear to my heart because I consider myself one of these people. Um, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I consider myself this. You consider yourself this, this thing we will be talking about on the show. The okay. topic which we will consume for two hours. That topic, that is what I consider myself. Not Notice I haven't even told you what the topic is. It's, yes. I'm considering it a secret, but it's me. It could be any number When of you things. think of me, what do you guys think of? Oh. Okay, let's just throw out some words. This could be dangerous. Let's just throw them out. I mean, what, how could this be dangerous? This is a form of even what we're talking about. When you think of me. When I think of Matt Townsend. Doctor. I think Definitely of, doctor. <laughs> yeah, doctor, for sure. I think host. Okay. Maybe diva. Devo. Yeah. Devo. Okay. If you're going to get the male specific. Version. Yeah. Spontaneous. Okay. No, we're not even close to what we're talking about today. It's almost like Michael, we don't know. Michael, have one from you, Michael. <laughs> I want to keep my job. Sassy. Say sassy. Sassy. Nope, I choose not sa- even. Nope. <laughs> Dancer. Yeah, but okay. no, because that's also part of this topic. Extremely good looking? Yes. Yes. Really, 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 really good looking? You know what? Now, go- now you guys seem to just be doing the topic. <laughs> the, topic is, the, to- the topic is creativity. Being creative. Oh. See, I consider myself a creative person. Artistic. I mean, sure, everything <laughs> else you said. Innovative. Innovative. Sure. Uh, ruggedly good looking. Absolutely. Doctor, yes. Single ab. Ab in the singular <laughs> form. Big ab. And also creative. See, right then at the end, you, all, you were like making up stuff. <laughs> so that was you trying to be creative. Right. Do you guys consider yourself creative? Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. To a certain extent, I feel like you need to be creative. It's, yeah. a, it's a big part of our work here. Definitely. Yeah. Well, do you think – okay, let me throw out uh, some professions. You tell me if you think they're creative. Okay. Accountant. Accountants. <laughs> wow, you really yes. went to the bottom of the barrel there, didn't you? <laughs> there is such a thing as creative accounting. Uh, is it's that illegal? Usually it's that's illegal. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is it's that, illegal. Is that They're legal? in prison. But there's, there's got to be a creative accountant. Uh, how about um, uh, brain surgeon? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Really? How about um, uh, a nuclear scientist? I. You yes. know what? I wouldn't Scientists want like my bleeding brain surgeon to be creative on well, me. But, I'd want but him to follow this. the what path. If, Let's just what if you that. were having brain surgery and there was a problem? Right. And it wasn't a typical problem. So he had to solve the problem creatively. Okay. Now I'd mm. want it then. But if it's anything normal, if it's like a yeah. normal brain surgery, if they can't <laughs> normal be normal, I'd want oh, one, you know, you know to him to just follow the regular procedure. 
I just scheduled my my bi yearly <laughs> brain surgery. <laughs> yeah, if I have to have my annual, <laughs> my annual brain, surgery, brain surgery, the normal one. But it's interesting because we sometimes think that people are either kind of right brain or they're left brain. If they're right brain, they obviously are creative. If they're left brain, they're not. They have no creative bones in them. I hate that differentiation. Like, I I just don't think that you should limit people to that sort of thing. No, I agree. So you can just you know you can say I mean. I've taken right brain, left brain tests before. What brain are you? I'm right brained. Are uh, you? Yeah, I am. Really? Yes. I, I try to use my whole brain. Yeah. <laughs> see, well, and see, that's the thing is that there's absolutely no way. So, and another interesting thing is that a lot of time people think left brain means not creative. Right. Which is completely untrue because a lot of times uh, your left brain is the center that handles all of Language, yeah, and symbols. Tell me a lot of language. I mean, a yeah, rapper. A... I do a lot of rap. I'm a rapper. <laughs> we need to get creative. Yeah, writers need to be creative. Yeah. Uh, mathematicians need to be creative. Scientists need to be yeah. creative. So it's kind of a weird differentiation that they make. And because I am in a quote unquote creative, yeah, you're uh, major like here at the university. Major. I get some weird comments sometimes. So I'm like, I wish I could be like you. See, that's it's creative. It. Then we always really think. We also think though that creative people don't think. Yes, it's so true. So we're like we're the people are patronizing and they're like, "Oh, oh yeah. Well, you know what? You won't always run a business great, but you've got some great music." Yeah. <laughs> what you need is somebody that can think for you. You might be a waitress for the rest of your yeah. life, but Isn't that? See, it's sad. We judge it each is. other. It is. And I think the interesting thing is everybody has to be creative up to an extent. So oh, sure. labeling a certain person as creative seems really arbitrary yeah. and silly to me. Well, and, and maybe the worst isn't anyone else labeling me, but me thinking I'm not creative. Yeah, yeah. you can definitely Because then I'm done, yourself. right? Then yeah. I check myself out. Eh, I don't do that. I'm not creative. Well, think about it. Kids are creative. Just, I mean, by their very nature, they are born creative. Oh, yeah. They're curious. They look for things. They yeah. solve problems. And really, have you ever had a conversation with a four-year-old who's been playing a game of pretend? I have no clue what's going on in their little brains. Well, yeah, but... that seems scary. It is kind of scary, mostly because how did they come up with that sort of yeah. thing? Obviously, they're creative. I mean, I don't know how the bunny got on the spaceship and, yeah. you know, but well, it see, did. That's, that's what's great. If you're a really creative parent with a creative child, then you can – it's really easy to get out of stuff like that. You just, oh, yeah. You just say, well, the leopard put him there. <laughs> <laughs> that's and the... then you got to explain the leopard. Yeah, that's true. I feel like technology is – is helping people be more creative. Yeah. Because at a young age they can get on. <clears throat> they have a lot more access to things like art apps mm-hmm. and they can oh, just yeah. doodle and then they don't feel like they're bad. And I feel like a lot of things are becoming more acceptable. Like just being creative in general is becoming more acceptable so they can enhance those and and they're they feel less yeah. creative growing up. You used to have to just have a museum to be creative. Yeah. Now you can have YouTube. It's true. Or mm-hmm. uh, any, I mean, there's so many options. TED Talks to me are very creative people. Oh, heavens, yes. I mean, and, that's... and some of them aren't even. I mean, there's a whole area, a category there of just creative art mm-hmm. or people that do interesting things with science. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, I think it's it's cool when uh, you are working. You know, you're being creative, and <clears throat> you, that feeling that you get. I don't know. Because yeah. being a person who's creative and you work create, I work creatively a lot of the time. I guess that's how people would define it. Uh-huh. It's one of the coolest things. But I can get that feeling doing a lot of other things aside from like 
being artistic. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, can you see it anywhere? Like, can you see? I can see my creativity when I speak. I can, but I can also see it come out in just my parenting. Mm-hmm. Like, because oh, sure I'll try it. something some way that no one would try that. Yeah. I think most problems require creativity to solve. Most most issues, most things, most you know professions. Yeah. And we definitely. don't we don't usually think about it that way. No, and to a certain extent, we we idolize creativity. Yeah. So we we put those people mm-hmm. that we label as creative up on a pedestal, and we say, "Wow, wouldn't it be cool like them?" And on the other hand, we totally demoralize the creative person. Oh, yeah. We say, "Oh, they're messy. They yeah. can't handle normal life. They, you know." Yeah. And so they're going to be waitresses for the rest of their lives. <laughs> so, you know, there's so this dichotomy where, on one hand, we, if the person's creative and we like whatever they're being creative about. We can't praise them enough. No, right. Exactly. But if we have any sort of doubts about their creativity, what they... a cool waitress! Wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh, how sweet. No, wait till you're. Do you a want parent, catch up though. with that? Like, wait till your parent and your child comes and says, and you're like, well, so what are you studying? And they give you something like, um, art, 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 just, just art, <laughs> just, just art. Well, yeah, Dad, I just want to be an artist, or I want to just, I just, I'm studying guitar. That was, by the way, Skyboy's degree. Which look, he's gone. Look what it got him. <laughs> but um, he. But when they say, "I just want to just play my music," okay. We're going to talk about that. It sounds in so the unpredictable. Yeah, like oh. art in the classroom. Maybe it, it can, can be, be an helpful. Accountant. Oh, sure, absolutely. Yeah. It can because at first you're like, you can't do that your whole life. You well, know? and you don't make money. <laughs> but the as skills a guitar you learn player. are good. Come on. Yeah. Money. It's it's weird because then we're driven by it. So our whole show today is going to be about creativity. We're going to get into every facet of creativity, right? Like how you find it, how you figure it out, why it's so important, anxiety and creativity, mm-hmm. huge, how to cultivate creativity. Plus, we're going to just talk to creative people. And then Mike's going to talk about his dates and how well, creative he's gotten. Creativity See, that's and where dating. your creativity comes out. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. Which is weird because a lot of people wouldn't know you're such a creative dater, right? Until the cops get called. Hypothetically. Creative. Yeah. I just need to leave the javelins at home. Yeah. This is uh this is gonna be a good show. Now here's the deal. So my son goes to learn music. Okay, he just went to a music class to learn how to write music. He's sixteen years old. Actually seventeen today. Happy birthday. Oh. And uh cute kid, wonderful kid, goes and spends a day and a half learning to write music. And comes home, and I'm like, so, do you guys write music? And he's like, nah, really. <laughs> what they Not do? Really. But what they learned was all of this theory mm-hmm. about creativity and how you how your brain works and how your thinking stops it and how it gets you in trouble and how if you're not open to brainstorming and doing certain things and noticing what thoughts trap you from being creative, if you're not doing any of that, you're going to lose creativity. And he was blown away. So honestly, after that, he kind of likes psychology. Yeah. Huh. No, it's true. And I feel like, like that's my life. I feel like what you just explained is a little bit of an oxymoron. Yeah. Well, okay, but here's <laughs> the thing. Is they, <laughs> creativity doesn't we, – we think of it as kind of creating something out of nothing. Right. And so um, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about that in her TED Talk that we think that all of a sudden, you know – the dews distill yeah, upon us just, and we're, you know, dr- dr- we comes create out of and yeah. it's this amazing event that happens. But really, 
we're using what already exists to create something new. So right. every artist that you think of, you know, a painter uses paint to create something new. A musician uses notes, things and instruments, things that we already have in our life to create something new. And so it's not something we don't need to be burdened with absolute creation. Right. I mean, that is so otherworldly exactly. and supernatural. That's not something that we can handle on a day-to-day basis. And also, if you think about creativity in terms of just creating something out of something that already exists, it's a lot easier to, yeah. you know, to happen. And so you have to – in order to be more creative, the more knowledge you have, the more tools you have to yeah. build something, the more creative you're going to be. He, the, the teacher said, OK, I want everybody to just write – make a list of every thought that comes into their head for the next five minutes. <laughs> That's fun. And they wrote all these thoughts down, thoughts, 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 thoughts. Then he's so one of his thoughts was, "Man, my rear end is getting tired." <laughs> classic sixteen-year-old. And then, classic, yeah. and then another another thought was, uh, he had the thought of nothing. So then you, they were supposed to take off their list of all of these thoughts they had. Take one of them that could be a song title, that would be interesting. <laughs> I bet I know and, which one he and chose. He, I thought he would choose, uh, "Hey, my rear end is tired," but he chose the word nothing. Then he then brainstormed every concept or version or thought that came to him about nothing, mm-hmm. and he wrote all of those down. And then out of nothing comes something. Anyway, anyway, he ends up making up a, a song, basically. Whoa, that's a good out idea. Of nothing, and it, it was fantastic. And he, and it blew his mind that he could because he has stalled forever, thinking, knowing he's creative, but you know, creativity we think just flows to you because you're the oracle. But no, you gotta like totally you gotta be ready and focused for. It. So anybody can learn this. Stuff. I love that. That's, can. That teacher was really smart because because um, I think that if you you know if you crowd your mind with too much, yeah. you can't be creative. No, and then see, and he 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 helped them figure out how to unplug their how? brain. That's good. how to do it. That's what we're gonna do. We're on the whole show today. We're talking about creativity. How can you get more creative in your roles at home with your family, those you love? How do you manage your anxiety? We're talking about it all. We're going to take a break. We're coming back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we are talking about cultivating creativity in your lives and maybe right now in your classroom. You know, if you've got an elementary age kid, which I do, you've probably seen some of their fun art hanging around on the fridge, right? You know, something your son or daughter brought home proudly from class. But you and I both know that art in schools is shrinking as we see less painting and dancing going on and some of the focus is being turned more toward passing and succeeding on tests. A program at BYU is trying to teach teachers that it doesn't have to choose one or the other, art or math, dance or history. In fact, maybe the two can go hand in hand. Our own little Jessica Littlefield, not our little Jessica, our own Jessica Black Littlefield has put together a little information for us on the subject. And head and tail, making C's out of your spine. Starting the cerebral spinal pump, so the fluid goes from your spine up to your brain. This room full of about 50 teachers is stretching their arms in ways you wouldn't expect from the authority figure in front of the classroom. Like gymnasts preparing for a meet, they lean and bend and contort their bodies. 
every morning. Oh, yeah. And my kids, before we have a big test, they'll say, Mrs. Leslie, stop. We need to do the brain dance before we do this. Oh, they're, they're believers. I do it in my classroom, too. And my kids believe that they get better scores on their tests if we do it because it helps their brain work on both sides of their head. That's Colleen Leslie and Deborah Hansen. They teach third and fourth grade. And the brain dance is just one part of a whole array of art forms they're learning to incorporate in their classrooms. It's not just for fun. The dance gets results, says Hansen. I have a couple of students in my class who are very stressed about testing. And we've struggled, like, if they have to do a time test or something like that, they just they start breathing heavy and they get really nervous about it and and worry and and then they can't seem to focus on their test and they kind of bomb it really and so whenever I say we're going to have a test they go oh no oh no and so if we stop and we do the brain dance and they're able to calm themselves down they're able to take the test and they do well on the test because they know the material they're just afraid of testing. The arts integration program doesn't stop at dance. Dolly Sharp, a fifth grade teacher, took a normal persuasive essay and put a holiday Grinch twist on it. We just drew wonderful Grinches, and they are hanging out in the hall. They're about life-size. They are fabulous, and we're writing letters to the Grinch to persuade him whether or not he should take Christmas away or let us celebrate. And they are excited to write letters, their essay persuasive letters, which has been a part of the core for a long time. Doing that same letter without a fun person to tie it into was not nearly as productive. Making the idea of art come to life is something Julie Christofferson, a fine arts coordinator for a school district, has seen firsthand. We had a classroom teacher, after they had had a visual art training, uh, ask the students, now who would come on weekend? And she thought all these girls had raised their hand, but one rowdy little boy said, if I had art, I would come every Saturday if you would teach me art. That's what it's all about. Art offers very practical lessons. Diane Blaney's class has learned to focus and stick to specific instructions. We did a, a, a quick project this week where they drew a cardinal, a little Christmas bird, and it was a step-by-step thing that they had to really listen to me and follow directions because I showed them the the picture first and they were like wow and they thought I can't do that but when I break it down step by step and they follow my directions there's do turnout and they're awesome and then I had them color and I had them draw little snowflakes with white crayons which they couldn't see so they had to remember where they had drawn a snowflake and they had to you know spatially think ahead and and put them because they couldn't see those white snowflakes. And then when we washed it with a blue watercolor and those snowflakes appeared, it was just like magic to them. And that is just so fun for them. But they had to, you know, follow my direction and concentrate to get the original bird. But now that they know how to do it, I see those little birds on all their (laughs) papers, you know. They just doodle. They love doing it because all of a sudden they're like, oh, I can draw. I'm an artist. And maybe most of all, Christofferson says blending art with the usual school subjects makes kids excited to come to school. We have seen children, as they're doing reviews for CRTs and other tests, sitting there in their seats, taking the test and moving and retaining the information that they have learned. We should not pull out of kids and negate what they're hardwired to do when they come to school. They play, they sing, they dance. They move, they draw, and we, we want to foster that rather than just 
rob them of it by the time they hit the sixth grade. They collaborate, they're happier, and we've also seen increases in attendance. We realize that this is something they carry through with them the rest of their lives. And the classroom teachers, bless their hearts, they are the stalwarts, they're the bastions that have to carry the whole load. We're trying to ease that load by showing them exciting ways they can use the arts and uh, use them with their children to make a difference. And we have seen teachers just amazed. That child never participates. Did a drama lesson. He raised his hand. He participated. And the teachers were floored. So it's so important for kids. It's something that we all know and that we're all working toward the same goal. Seize out of your spine. Starting the cerebral spinal pump. So the fluid goes from your spine up to your brain. It, uh, you know what? I would have stayed in school if we had done <laughs> there was that. art? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not, it doesn't have to be an either or, right? So we're either going to get smart or we're going to learn more art. It, let's use it. Let's use the art to access the brain. Right. How we think. Right. I love that. And I loved how they said we need to do things that they want to do naturally and use those to their advantage right. because they want to be able to move. And if you l- teach them while they move, yeah. they remember it more. So, well, it, really it cool. seems like if you're using all of your brain, and that's one of the things maybe we haven't. This is why using your whole brain to learn, we actually cannot just regurgitate stuff. We could figure it out. We, our brain, to utilize the full spectrum of our creativity means we're problem solvers. We don't just we're not just memorizing machines. Yeah. And I've never been a memorizing machine. <laughs> no. It's but, it's a lot easier when you when you use creativity to yeah. learn and I mean, you remember more and I love it. Yeah. To me really that's the way we should learn. And yeah. it's sad because it's because you think that solving the problem is taking it out of school. But really it's if you put it into school but use it in the right yeah. ways that it's better. Because I agree if you yeah. were just like oh, well, I don't want to teach my kids math today. We're going to color some pictures. Then that would probably not be a good idea. But it's, if you color, you know, geometry, if you cover triangles and circles, then you are learning. Yeah. Well, and so. now we have technology. We have all these things. You can look up so much stuff on Wikipedia in a second. It's the, it's the ability to be creative in using all of this and doing yeah. something we need. Awesome. Good work, Jess. You did it again. Very creatively, by the way. Oh, thank you. Well done. We are going to take a break. When we come back, our guest, Dr. Eric Mizell, is going to be joining us. He is an expert in creativity and, and does workshops, teaches people how to get in, find the inner creative self. And, uh, you know, he's done a ton of books. One of them is called Creativity for Life. We're talking with him when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We have a wonderful topic today, the topic of uh, cultivating creativity. So many times I have people say, oh, you're just so creative at this speech or whatever you did. And, and I'm like, well, yeah, and, but they, I wish I had something like that. 
We all have a little bit of creativity. We've got it in us. Uh, we may have even misnamed it. So I'm, I'm going to be asking our next guest what it is because we think it's this anomaly, something that might, might be foreign to us. But to me, it seems like it's a very natural part of being a human being. Even as children, they're very creative. They're going to just keep testing, trying, fixing, breaking, pushing, stressing things until they learn. Creativity, I think is what we call it. And our guest today knows an awful lot about it. Dr. Eric Mazel is joining us. He's been on the show before. He is the author of more than 40 books in the areas of creativity, meaning, and mental health, including the book Creativity for Life. He leads workshops nationally and internationally. He's a keynote speaker and writes the Rethinking Psychology blog for Psychology Today. Uh, Go check that out. He also lives in San Francisco Bay Area where he maintains an active creativity coaching practice. You can find more about our guest, Dr. Eric Mazel, at his website, ericmazel.com. Mazel is spelled M-A-I-S-E-L. Dr. Mazel, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm terrific. Good. Good to have you back. Thank you. This is, uh, to me, uh, this is such an interesting subject. And um, I think even the mere fact that you make a living, uh, a great living probably, teaching creativity, um, that, that, that to some might seem like, really? Do you have to teach people to be creative? But, but you do for some. It's not so much teaching them to be creative. It's more living the creative life, which is a slightly different idea. Mm. We know how many creative folks have had alcohol problems, depression problems, killed themselves, not made money in the marketplace, etc. So a lot of what I do as a creativity coach is help them with these real emotional issues and practical issues. It's not, you know, how do we gather in your mind yeah. remote associates so that you come up with a storyline. It's not that. Human beings can do that. If they can get quiet, if they if they have a life that isn't too troubling, well, we're imaginative. We you know, we dream. Everybody dreams. Right. Everybody can create a story. So I'm not helping anybody create a story. I'm helping them live this hard life. That's fantastic. And does do you believe everybody then I mean if we're kind of all innovative, um is everybody creative? I don't think that creativity is experienced as, in my language, a meaning opportunity for everybody, which is a slightly different idea. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't experience creativity as something they actually want. Hmm. You have to be a bit of a nonconformist. You have to be a bit of a leader. You have to want to have your own voice. There are a number of things that are maybe prerequisites for being creative, and I think you guys, maybe I was overhearing, we're talking about school before I came on. Yeah. But school demands that you draw within the lines and and facts and what have you. And many people get that message. The message is delivered clearly and kids get it. And so they decide to excel perhaps, which is very different from being creative. Yeah. Decide to excel. Actually, there were some really interesting social psychological experiments done to trying to distinguish the character or nature or personality of really smart kids versus really creative kids Mm. in school environments. And, you know, we could say a lot about that. We'd spend a million hours just talking about that. But the main difference was the the really smart kids wanted to know what was on the test. Oh, interesting. And the really creative kids, you know, didn't care, sort of made up their own test, made up their own answers, got into trouble. (laughs) Did it their way, yeah. 
you know, so th we're not talking about intelligence. These are two sets of intelligent people, but one set has, for whatever reason, has decided to conform, do conventional things, get their version of the picket fence, and the right. other group has, really from the beginning, stubbornness issues and meaning problem issues and wanting to do it their own way issues, and they start to diverge very early on, you know, from the pack. Is it is it tied actually to the brain and how or is it are we enculturated to be more creative? So where does this? And I guess one thing I don't we, think we I don't think we know. I have a model of personality that's my own, and in my model, personality is made up of three things: original personality, formed personality, and available personality. Hmm. So I think you're asking a question like, what is original personality? And nobody knows. Okay. So then Nobody some is knows. formed, and then some is, what was your third area? Available. Available. Our, our remaining freedom. Okay. Part it's, of us that, that sort of can appraise and, and look at ourselves and understand what we really want to do and make yeah. life purpose decisions and all kinds of things. But to, to get circle back around to your question, I don't think we know uh, what are the constituent parts of original personality, okay. nor can we ever know. Hmm. It's one of the, I don't know dark, dirty little secrets of the human species is there are plenty of things we're never going to know. We'll never know. We'll never know. And that's one of them. So that's why I advise clients to let go of their kind of self-pestering about what their original personality might have been, hmm. sort of what their blueprint might have been, and make decisions now using their available personality as to who the person as to who they want to be right now, who the person is they want to be right now. That's fascinating. That's a more important line of inquiry than, you know, sun sign stuff. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. And especially if there's no answer, let's get into what we want to be. I mean, I, I guess there are some people that, that have a desire to be more creative. Yes. A lot of people do have that desire and it's, it's, a, it's a mixed up thing for them because they don't actually like many of the component parts of being creative, namely going into the unknown making mistakes and messes, feeling anxiety, feeling performance anxiety because facing a blank computer screen or a blank canvas is very much like going up on stage. It's a certain right. kind of performance anxiety. So most human beings don't want the constituent parts of creativity, namely especially making mistakes and messes and getting criticized and rejected. Mm -hmm. Most people don't really like that. So part of them does want to be more creative because I think that creative is now the word we use for manifesting human potential. Oh, it's true, huh? Back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, in the human potential movement, we would talk about manifesting potential. That kind of language has gone away, and I think as shorthand, we use a word like creativity now. Hmm. So people do want to manifest their potential. They don't necessarily, though, want to do the work associated with manifesting their potential. Yeah, and, and the risk associated, and the, the I mean, because it does, it opens up a huge can of worms too the the fears the potential it opens up a can of worms and everybody in a in a corner of consciousness knows the following thing but they don't they don't want to admit it and they don't want to buy it and that is that only a percentage of our um, creative projects will work that's right huh we yeah. know, we know it you know you could look at any anybody beethoven hey you name any anybody hemingway name anybody you want to name from the history of, of the universe of art and only a percentage of their work has worked. Some, for some, like a Mozart, the percentage was very high. 
And for others, it maybe it's one good book that they're known for. Right. 15 books. So for each person, there's going to be an individual percentage of good work, and then the rest isn't so good. Yeah, a lot of failure. It's it, it, failure, and that's really not so easy to tolerate. It's easy for us to you know, kind of say it as if it were an easy thing, but it's really not easy to write your third not successful novel and your exactly. fourth not successful novel and your fifth not successful novel. That doesn't feel good at all. You've just spent six years investing a lot of sweat equity in something that hasn't worked. Yeah. Now, it's worked in one sense, in the sense that you've probably made yourself proud by showing up. Yeah. And maybe it'll you know, allow your seventh book to be really good. So, so there are senses in which you were successful, but in a day-in and day-out way, you're not feeling very successful at all. Hmm. It's a, uh, I mean, you hear it all the time, just in the kind of the book world, just the fear people have releasing the book. Because now it's because now it's going to be up for judgment, right? Now they're vulnerable. They're hanging out there, and it's so much easier to just to be a critic than a writer. That's exactly right, and that's why so many many creative people have starting issues and and working issues, mm. but virtually all have completing issues. That's interesting. Probably about ten different reasons why completing is so hard, and you've named the main one that the pushback and feedback and appraising from the world is coming. And it's not even just the kind of criticism we think of, like your character is stupid. Right. It's not just that. It's, you know, there was a typo on page three. Oh, yeah. You know, it's that kind of thing. And it sounds so small, but no. to the writer, it, you can feel like your book is ruined. Uh-huh. You know, and you have exactly. to like, write a nasty letter to your publisher saying, how could there be a typo on page three? We get so invested in this stuff. So, so we're not only worried about big criticism, we're worried about small things going wrong. Yeah. We're worried about, yeah, anything, aren't we? That's right. That's why it's, I don't think there's ever been a writer who's experienced their book arriving as a pleasant experience. They're worried that their name's going to be misspelled on the cover, that they're going to yeah, hate the cover. Anything. That the title is going to be wrong. Or they have to do the press junkets. They have to get out. They got to push it. And what if it doesn't sell? I mean, there's the whole failure component. Like, what if nobody buys it? That's right. And that's why when I, when I work with um, authors who are working on their first book, I tell them, and they, they believe me because, you know, I'm, I'm a credible guy. They believe me, but they don't really believe me when I tell yeah. them that they have a much better leg up than somebody who's had five or six books published. Yeah. Because that person with five or six books published has now bad numbers associated with her. <laughs> Statistically, yeah. Record. That's, That's why right. you see these astronomical advances for first books, because that person has a halo effect. They have no bad numbers associated That's right. with them yet. That's such a good point. They're, yeah, they're, they're, hey, they're going to be perfect, hypothetically. <laughs> That's right. They, have, so they haven't failed yet. Oh, that is so sad. <laughs> and it's funny, and we end up driving, I mean, creative creativity away. Just It's ourselves. We're fighting it ourselves. So why is it important, right? So if, it's, if our natural instinct as humans might be to not put ourselves out there, why are so many striving for it, and, and why is it important to us as a people? It's only important... If it is one of our primary meaning opportunities, if it's one of the ways we make meaning, and if we don't do it, then we experience life as too meaningless. Hmm. But that makes it idiosyncratic. If you have a life where you're making meaning 15 different ways from Sunday through service and relationships and career and one thing and another, yeah. you may not need creativity. It's just yet another 
meaning opportunity. However, if you're someone who grew up loving books, like so many of us, loving movies, loving music, loving visual data, well, then you're kind of stuck feeling like that's one of the ways you're going to make meaning in life, right. doing that same thing. So if you don't have, if that's somehow mm-hmm. in your head that that's how you're going to derive your meaning and that's not a part of it, you'll always have this emptiness. That's exactly right. Whereas, you know, I, I went to a math and science high school. I was just thinking about this recently, Stuyvesant in New York City, where everybody, th- there was one, I think, um, English major in the high school. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> he, he'd like, he'd like do, he'd put on his own Shakespeare plays or whatever. Yeah. Everybody else was a math and science kid. I was a math and science kid. I thought I was going into physics and astronomy. Uh, and it's, it's a high-powered school in the sense that we've produced more Nobel Prize winners than any European oh, country. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, we did it at a high level. Um, but I don't think that there was anybody there, really anybody there, who had to write a novel, except maybe for this one guy. Interesting. And me not knowing it, but and me. Yeah. Uh, so there are a lot of people who don't have to be creative, and that's creative in the arts. There are a lot of people hmm. who don't have to be creative in the arts. And that's not to say that science types don't also, aren't also interested in, in the arts. That doesn't yeah. say that at all. But their primary meaning-making apparatus is in science. That's, that's their love. They're the kid who you know, bought the telescope rather than three novels or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Isn't you know, it, so there are differences. It, there really are, and it seems like... Um... So much of this, it's so personal, huh? So you can't just like broad stroke it and say right brain, left brain, whatever kind of people. In reality, a lot of this just comes down to what you learn or how, what was your meaning making apparatus. That's right. And what you fall in love with. There are similar ideas. The, the ideas of <clears throat> making meaning and passion and what have you, they're, they're all connected. Hmm. And I do think, and there are unlucky people who never fall in love with anything, and they're troubled their whole life. Are they? They just never they, feel they, like they'll they... They'll dabble, you know, they'll be a dancer for six months, and, yeah. and a watercolorist for six months, and and a yoga teacher for a year, and, and they're trying. Hmm. They're hoping to find the thing that, re- that, that they really love that stands out from the other things. Yeah. And that's quite a curse to, to have nothing stand out. From the other, I'm a writer. Yeah. Stands out. Yeah, I can, you know, I can do some pastels if you push me. I can, yeah. I can do some other things, but I'm a writer. You're also a scientist. I mean, that's what makes you so, uh, I guess, balanced. Is you can write, you can do the pastels if you need to, but honestly, you, um, you're also a scientist. That's right, and and so so I I feel you know, for an atheist to say this, I feel blessed uh, that. I love some things. Yeah. There are an awful lot of people who don't love anything. They have mere interests. They're interested in everything. Oh, see, that's They're interested in, in your sad. Twitter post and yeah. my Twitter post and my face. They're interested in everything, and they'll, they'll forward you a photograph about something that's cute. And, yeah. You know, they'll be busy all day long with interests and can't fill this hole the because void. they're not loving anything. Wow. Oh, okay, we're going to keep talking about this. Dr. Eric Meisel is joining us author of the book Creativity for Life. He's teaching us uh, another way to think about this concept of creativity and cultivating it uh, a little bit more into our lives. Man, you ought to be thinking, if you uh, is your meaning wrapped around this concept of creativity? and Or what is your meaning wrapped around? That's a huge question for each of us. We're taking a break. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Wonderful topic today, cultivating creativity, understanding it. Do you feel like uh, creativity is, a, is an essential part of your meaning? Is it uh, something that you hold up as, as a critical part of, of your life, of being a human being? Some people have no need for it. They don't see the need. And so if they don't see the need, they don't feel this compelling need to constantly be pushing for it. Others, their entire identity, their meaning, their purpose is wrapped around it. And uh, they're going to keep chasing the dream of creativity. It's an interesting concept. And Dr. Eric Mazel's joining us. He's the author of more than 40 books, but uh, the one we're talking about today is Creativity for Life. He leads workshops. He's a speaker. He also writes a blog that we love on psychology today called Rethinking Psychology. He works out of San Francisco Bay where he teaches creativity uh, for clients and he helps coach others into, um, you know, seeing how they think and, and I guess more magnifying their creative abilities. Uh, you can find more out about uh, Dr. Maisel by going to his website, ericmaisel.com, ericmaisel.com. Uh, Dr. Maisel, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Tons of fun. Um, it's one of the things that we've kind of mentioned a little bit is it sounds like creativity seems to be, you know, correlated in a way to some anxiety. Is that true? I mean, it seems like create, there's uh, this bet. creative anxiety, this you angst I'll, or whatever. I'll cut, you, I'll cut you right off and agree. Good. Absolutely. So I I'm normal. Called, I did a book called Mastering Creative Anxiety. Oh, really? Uh, which um, looks at maybe a dozen different sources of anxiety in the creative person and um, lists maybe 20 or so non-drug-related um, strategies for managing anxiety. Mm. So it's an interesting book. That's a and great... I think, it's actually, I think it's actually the best menu of anxiety management tools. That's, it's called Mastering Creative Anxiety? Mastering Creative Anxiety. And it's by you. And it's by me. <laughs> well, this is awesome. So I, I got to get that one because. Yeah. But there's there's like forty different uh, emotional like drivers or triggers. Is that what you're calling anxiety? Triggers? Yeah, there, there, there are sources. There are many sort. Maybe you know a dozen large sources of anxiety. Hmm. The main one is not knowing. Not, that's why so many people don't get started. Is they want to know the thing. They they want to have created the novel in their head before starting right. to make sure that they won't make a mistake. Then huh. they don't actually want to go into the unknown yeah. and not know. And then come and, out empty. What if you come out empty? Ooh. Well, it's not just that. It's it's not unlike um, going into that dark closet when you were seven. That mm. closet that you refused to go into. It's a genuinely dark and scary place especially if you're doing anything that uh, has some personal tinge to it, like a memoir or what have yeah. you. You have to actually look at your divorce or look at your parents or whatever. So going into the unknown produces a lot of anxiety. And, um, and you can turn that around? You have to embrace it. Yeah. There are two things. You, can, you, can, you must embrace anxiety and you must manage anxiety. If by turn around you mean eliminate, I would say that's impossible. Yeah. And it's impossible for a number of reasons. One is that the second you do X, let's say you write a novel with three characters in it. It's our human nature to next want to write a, a novel with seven characters in it. Right. We, we want to top ourselves. We want to move forward. Well, so maybe it didn't make me anxious to write novel A, but now I want to do something larger and uh -huh. bigger. So now it's going to make me anxious. If I were to state one of the ways we manage anxiety is to repeat ourselves. 
Yeah. That's why we get repetitive syndromes like washing your hands and obsessive compulsive disorders. It's a mechanism to reduce anxiety, to, to repeat the same behaviors. Well, in the arts, you can repeat the same behaviors by, let's say, and I don't want to insult anybody who happens to love pumpkins, but <laughs> let's say that you're a pumpkin painter and just can't move beyond pumpkins. Right. You know, you, you want to do radishes, you want to do squash, you want to do, maybe pumpkin is a squash, <laughs> you want to do... <laughs> I don't know, we're not the expert on that, yeah. <laughs> you want to do something else, but you know how to make a darn good pumpkin. Yeah, you've mastered the pumpkin. You've mastered the pumpkin, so now you know how to reduce your experience of anxiety. You keep doing pumpkins. <laughs> and there are an awful lot of people who keep doing what they know to do only because, it's not, be, not that they don't want to move forward, it's they don't want to experience anxiety. Oh, interesting. So it's not like a fear of forward, it's a fear of anxiety. It's, it's, it's anxiety they're dealing with, not whatever right. they it's present. A making, it's a fear of making a mistake yeah. on, a, on a tomato. When I, yeah. Why make a mistake on a tomato when I can make a perfect pumpkin? That's so it's interesting. It's almost irrational. Huh? Yeah. You know, it's almost irrational. And then we and fight yet, about the tomato like the tomato's the issue, but the real issue right. is the, the anxiety. <laughs> That's right. The real issue is the anxiety. And the, the real issue, what's really not known is the extent to which we use repetitive behaviors to, to manage anxiety. Hmm. That's the part that's not so well known. I think that um, even very wonderful artists don't realize that they're doing the same thing over and over again, that they could do something new. They may even get blasted yeah. for doing the same thing over and over again. So it's not like they're not being told, why don't you stretch? Why don't you try this? Yeah. They're hearing that from outside. They're probably hearing it from inside. They don't quite realize that they're... And they'll, they'll dream up some rationalization for why they're doing the same right. thing. They'll say, you know, I love one-character plays, or the only true art is the sonnet form, or whatever. Yeah. You know, they'll, oh, yeah. they'll give you some reason for why they can't move on, and it'll sound plausible in their ears and maybe sure, even in sure. your ears. It's but what's really going on is, is they want to repeat themselves. No, I, oh, you're, I think we're learning a ton here. We're talking with Dr. Eric Maisel. We've got to take a break, come back. Uh, when we come back, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep trying to figure out what are some strategies we can use to deal with some of this anxiety uh, and not keep doing the repetitive behaviors that might you know, prohibit or inhibit some of our creativity. Good stuff, folks. Thanks for joining us. We're taking a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to give you some tools, some ideas, some insight, maybe just some questions about uh, what's going on in your life. Today, we are uncovering the concept of creativity, and uh, it's such a personal thing. And, you know, our brains are very smart. We know how to manipulate. We know how to make something make us not have to do something if we don't want. For example, we just get a little anxiety going. Then we get a little repetitive behavior going. Uh, and then we're only going to do what works. And then we make up a lot of stories and even excuses. And a lot of times in the end, this uh, might, you know, 
stifle our creativity, stop us from from uh, trying something new, maybe growing, <laughs> heaven forbid. So we've decided to bring in the expert. Dr. Eric Mazel's joining us. He's a researcher, author of more than 40 books, uh, two books he's mentioned so far. One is Mastering Creative Anxiety, which is one I'm going to go buy right away, and another one, Creativity for Life. He is a coach, and uh, you know, he, I think he's pretty much done everything, though. I mean, therapy, speaking, um, a lot of writing, but he holds workshops nationally and internationally and has a, an active creativity coaching practice in San Francisco Bay Area where he helps people learn to understand their creative, you know, pattern. And uh, you can go find more about him at his website, ericmazel.com. You can also go to his psychology blog on Psychology Today titled Rethinking Psychology. It's a, it's one that I love to read as well. So, Dr. Mazel, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. I wanted to piggyback, yeah. if I may. It just occurred to me, it's probably an apocryphal story, but there is the story of the great Japanese master painters, whole tradition of them, who at a certain point, when they became famous enough, they would burn all of their paintings, ah. change their identities, and start fresh, because they didn't want to repeat themselves. Wow. That's I committed. I doubt that any human being can actually do that, so I suspect it's an apocryphal story, yeah. but that's almost what's required. It's interesting, because you, yeah, you have to... You have to well. That's interesting. You'd still repeat yourself because you're you're, <laughs> you're you're still presenting it from you, right? I mean, that's right. You're the only. The thing is, you'd be the only one that knew that you were repeating yourself. Oh, this is that's interesting. Right. But when you when you do give yourself that kind of opening, when yeah. instead of saying, "I'm doing my 27th mystery novel in the series," yeah. Instead of saying that, you say, I have no idea what I'm doing next. I'm going to walk around the lake for two days straight and be open to my next thing. You may end up doing your 27th novel in the series. That may be exactly what you intend to do. Yeah. But you may also do something new. What do we do with this anxiety? You you talk about the creative anxiety. Um, What are some things that you'll teach in your workshop or that are in the book? Sure. Let me me run down the the, the abbreviated menu of anxiety management strategies. Number one is breathing. Yep. Straightforward. Five seconds on the inhale, five seconds on the exhale. Some deep breaths matter. They matter physiologically, but they also matter psychologically because if we are doing that deep breathing, we also know that we're trying to calm ourselves. We're trying to do yeah. something. You're, you're in the fix now. You're not, you're no That's longer right. chasing honoring, the bird. We're honoring that we're feeling anxious. Yeah. We're not, we're not denying that we're feeling anxious. We're and it works. We're trying to do something. Right. That's, and that's such an easy one, isn't it? It is. The next one is cognitive, and that is not saying things that increase our experience of anxiety. If you make a mark on your canvas and you say that's the worst mark a human being's ever made in the history of painting, mm. you're going to increase your anxiety. Yeah. If you see, if you don't, if you don't catastrophize like that, you've reduced your experience of right. anxiety. So we have to mind what we say internally. That, that reduces our experience well, of anxiety. Like, or saying, boy, if I don't sell this painting, I'm never going to be able to pay my rent. Exactly. I mean, it seems like seriously stress-inducing. That's exactly right. So it isn't that we can mind our thinking probably all the time, but the goal is to at least think only thoughts that serve us hmm. during our creative stints. And I guess we would know it's not working because we'd feel anxious. That's exactly right. So if we're feeling anxious, it's not working. A third is marrying the two. I did a book called 10 Zen Seconds, which hmm. does the following thing. It, it, it's the idea of dropping 
smart cognitive phrases into one deep breath, five seconds on the inhale, five seconds on the exhale. That's the 10 seconds of huh. the 10 Zen seconds. And so they're simple. They have, obviously have to be short, simple phrases to fit in a breath. And they're, they're phrases like, I feel supported, huh. or I'm completely stopping, or I return with strength. Just mont- essentially they're affirmations or mantras. I call them incantations just to um, make it more interesting. Them. Well, also to distinguish them from affirmations because they have the breathing component. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that, an that, incantation. That's the why of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that. There are all sorts of relaxation techniques, which uh, are things as simple as rubbing your shoulder. Crazy to think that a simple relaxation technique might help, but they have. Really? Just rubbing your own shoulder? Rubbing your own shoulder. Just a little relaxation technique. Wow. Something like that. There's a whole group of techniques called discharge techniques. The Anxiety builds up in our system, sort of like bile, and so we want to discharge that anxiety. And just walking will help. Mm. But the one I like the best is one that actors learn, and that's silent screaming. Oh, really? You can't really, you better not scream out loud or the police will come. Yeah, you people can make will be a afraid. Big screamy face. You can make a big silent screamy face that will reduce your experience of anxiety. Hmm. Just, just, just the mere fact that you're making the face, you're, you'll feel the physiological. Exactly. Release exactly, and and actors learn all kinds of techniques for the you know for standing in the wings or being yeah. in the green room. Um, one one face of anxiety is what's called inhibited flight. Namely, we get anxious if we feel like we're trapped. Okay, that's one of the reasons people fear flying. It's not just how does this big metal thing get up there. Right. It's just it's just that experience of being in that little seat and trapped. So that there's, so that's a combo anxiety, and so. When you're working at your canvas or at your computer screen or what have you, you can, because of what you're Mm. saying to yourself, feel trapped. You can start to feel the anxiety of inhibited flight, like I can't go anywhere. I can't finish this paragraph. All you need to do is stand up and walk around your chair two times, and you reduce that experience of inhibited flight. Wow. That that seems like why a lot of students don't, you know, choose their major. Because that's inhibited <laughs> flight. I don't want to be unin. I want to be uninhibited. I don't want to have that's to decide right. my major because then I'm stuck with my major. That's exactly right. If we create the experience of feeling trapped, we're also going to create the experience of anxiety. Hmm. There's another set of techniques called disidentification techniques. They they come from an Italian psychologist by the name of Asagioli. They're very much like, the idea is very much like detachment in Buddhism. It's an attitude change where you keep reminding yourself that you are different from and bigger than your creative product or your temporal feeling or your mood. You know, it's that idea of of not not attaching to, not associating with the mood you're in or the thing you're working on to understand that you're bigger than that. And so there there are five or six or seven or eight or nine more categories um, of... Anxiety management techniques, they're all interesting. I think the headline, though, is that there are so many categories that there's got to be something congenial for everybody. Right. A person should not be able to say, well, you know, there's one anxiety management technique and it doesn't work for me. And that's huh. just not a legitimate excuse because yeah. there are tons of things to try. And you need to own one. It's not really that important that you've read a book on 23 anxiety management techniques and you found it to be an interesting book. You actually have to practice something. Well, what I love about it is it puts the power back in you. I mean, it seems like a lot of artists might turn to, you know, some drug 
to create to get rid of the the release of this anxiety. That's what they do, but That's instead, right. there's so much more power to to actually know that you have three or four or five options that are in you. That's right. That's and it's just, just healthy. To, just to repeat what we've been saying, the um, taking of drugs and alcohol is, is the second line of defense against anxiety. The first is fleeing the encounter. Yeah, right. Running. That's the first. You know, if, we, if you're afraid of flying, you not only don't get on the plane, you don't, you don't go to the airport, you don't, you don't get anywhere near there. You just get the heck out of the way. And that's what most people do to not experience the anxiety of creating is they don't do the work. Mm. So that's, that's the number one anxiety management technique used by human beings, not doing the work. Well, that's a the great way to know, huh? Just, I want to hear the other is, um, if you're sitting there and you know there's something creative you wanted to do forever and yep. you're not doing it, you're just still at number one. You're at number one. You're, you're anxious and you're fleeing the encounter. Yeah. It's pretty, okay, pretty simple. Number two is the one you said, and that's drugs and alcohol and all, 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 of, all of those kinds of things are number two. Yeah. Most people don't really own any effective, healthy anxiety management strategies. They're, right. they're still in the place of not doing the work or taking some drug. Mm. It's it's so important to learn. Um, is do people in? It seems like they might inherently just fight the idea to be creative, uh, just because society. I mean, I guess if our parents haven't to, valued to find it, which idea to to be like sober? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. They I mean, do. So, so there's lots of there's lots of mythology and self talk and uh-huh. identity identity pieces of I'm an outsider. I'm an outlier. Yeah. I'm an iconoclast. Uh, I'm I'm going to burn my candle at three ends. I'm going to die at 22 if I can manage it. I'm going to, yeah, sure. Mm. Um, it's not helping their creative lives, and they don't feel good. So yeah. you know, if you can, you know, get a person um, quieted down so that you can talk rationally and and deal with denial. And to name another book, I, with an addiction specialist, I did a book called Creative Recovery, mm. which is the only recovery program for artists out there. Oh wow! And you know, you know, obviously, we're talking about the special needs of creative folks. Yeah. And creative folks need their own recovery program. No, absolutely. All of the twelve-step stuff is twelve-step stuff is smart, but you need extra things. For instance, and this is just one. For instance, and we could spend a lot of time on this, but one for instance, in early recovery, you have to really carefully monitor how ambitious to be as a creative person. Because the energy of recovery and the energy of creating really are contradictory. Oh, yeah. The energy of recovery is to, to be calm, do yeah. next first things first. Yeah, order, structure. get yourself yeah. worked up, blah, blah, blah. And then the energy of creating is to get all passionate and wound up and mm-hmm. energetic and, ap- and appetitive. That's the big one. Appetitive. Get your appetites going. Yeah. Get your appetites going. Because that's, that's what creating, creating is in part. It's, it, it's the same... Pull to eat peanuts is is the pull to write another novel. It's yeah. appetite, desire, what yeah. have you. Is in fact that's what Orson Welles said. I don't know. I eat so many peanuts. I don't. I don't even like them. But <laughs> he just he's got he's got an appetite. Around, yeah. you know, to circle back around just to that simple point. When you're in early recovery, meaning the first days, weeks, months, and even the first year, maybe even the first couple of years of being in recovery, you have to choose creative projects that match your recovery hmm. state. And again, that's just, it's just not well-known stuff. No, no who buy. knows that, right? That's right. And they get stuck in it. 
We're talking with Dr. Uh, Eric Mazel, and Doc, I wanted to ask you one more thing just as we wrap up. Um, what What's the number one thing? I mean, if there is one number one thing that a creative person needs to remember overall when it comes to their anxiety and even their maybe too also their meaning of, about what creative well, I, means I'm gonna, to them. I'm going to end it with maybe a very practical yeah. um, suggestion, which is that if you do intend to create or if you want to create, you think you want to create, then you want to institute a morning creativity practice before your real day begins because most people are in this kind of maybe state. Maybe I can get to my creating sometime today, but then the evening comes, you're exhausted, right. it doesn't happen. So instituting a morning creativity practice is probably the number one thing to do. And that has three um, outcomes, three values for you. One, you get a lot of work done. Yeah. The second, you'd get to make use of what your brain's been thinking about all night long. And we, that's a whole other subject. I right. did a book on sleep thinking. We think during the night and we have lots of useful stuff to retrieve, but we need to only, we can only retrieve it if we turn to our work first thing. Hmm. That's the second thing. And then the third on the meaning level is if you create first thing, then you have the experience of making some meaning first thing that yeah. day. Oh, interesting. And the rest of the day can be half meaningless and you won't get depressed. That's right. Yeah, and you've had meaning in the morning and it may drive other meaning making. That's right. It's powerful. Man, you know, Doc, it's almost like you've thought this through. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, no. Is that showing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's showing. Dr. Eric Mazel, again, such a such a joy to have you on the show. You got to go. Every one of those books he listed, you can get information at, uh, on his website, ericmazel.com, M-A-I-S-E-L.com, Eric, E-R-I-C-M-A-I-S-E-L.com. Thanks again, Eric. Uh, good stuff and tons of opportunity. We all have. We've got to go figure out our meaning, and we've just been given the great assignment. Started in the morning, a little morning creativity practice. Let's all start tomorrow. Uh, great stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're taking a break. We'll be right back right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we've been talking about creativity, you know, cultivating creativity, anxiety and creativity, how this all works. It's an important trait to develop, right? And we often wonder how we can help our kids develop more creativity, how we can become more creative ourselves. Reading may be one of the most important ways to spark imagination in children as well as maintain creativity as we grow older. Our own Maddie Richards will be sharing some of her memories with reading and imagination, and we'll be discussing why it's so important to help us stay creative. I'm fairly certain I was born in the wrong time period. Don't get me wrong, I love my iPhone and my flat iron, but I think I would trade those in for an on-the-wall dial telephone with an operator or romantic ringlets piled up on the top of my head any day of the week. My sisters and I would play fantastic games growing up, and more than half of them involved us living in a different time period. We were pioneers with stick horses, dressed the part in bonnets and skirts, waiting for the rugged frontiersman to come save us from danger, or simply doing it ourselves if he was taking too long. 
We were 14th century princesses with jewels and handsome princes from other countries. We were too young to realize that the girls at that time would have been getting married at our age, living mostly unhappy lives with dying children and unfaithful husbands, and reaching their own graves before they'd really had the chance to live. But these games entertained us for hours on end as we lived out the lives of people who came before us with intense moments and jaw-dropping reveals just before dinner that left everyone hanging until the next day when the game would resume. My mother is the one who helped us develop this kind of creativity by reading with us. Each summer, I would pick out at least one book to read with her, and so would each of my sisters. My mother is the kind of woman who understands that the only way a child will learn to love reading is by doing it. I credit her with the thrill I still get out of reading today. So we would read together, with her explaining the difficult parts and even sometimes producing voices that brought the stories to life. We read novels, but mostly classics, like Little Women and A Tale of Two Cities. I still consider Joe March to be one of my finest friends. But my favorite books that I read with my mother and read by myself now are works of Jane Austen. She is a phenomenal writer, but I was mostly swept away by the time period. Women in beautiful gowns, trips to London for a season full of parties and teas and dinners, letters being brought to the breakfast table on a silver platter by a servant, officers in uniform and rich, mysterious gentlemen. Women with heads on their shoulders, intelligent and witty in their banter, yet feminine and gentle as I believe all women should be. I was enthralled by it all. It only added to my idea that I was certainly born in the wrong time period. I would often leave those reading sessions with not only the thrill of what would come next in the book, but the thoughts of what I would do were I in the situation. After finishing the books, my mother would watch the movies with me. Clearly, the books had to be read first. It is a literary tradition that continues still. But the movies sparked my imagination in different ways. Seeing the dresses and the jewelry in the exquisite colors described on the page, laughing at the sarcastic wit now heard more than just in my head. Witnessing the atmosphere of the dances and even attempting the steps myself. All of it was too perfect. I would float to my room after, asking my maid to help me undress, giggling with my sister under the covers by candlelight about how Sir So-and-so had behaved at the ball. It all tied back to reading. I came to appreciate and love the people of history simply because of the books I read. While I know more now about what it would actually have been like to live in those time periods and recognize that all eras are punctuated with hard times and sadness, I will still pick up a stoic piece from the 1940s with war and chivalry and patriotism or a literary classic from the 1800s with romance and manners and dignity, and wish with all of my heart 
that I could have been there. The knowledge I gained through these books have led me to be sure that if a time machine popped up in front of me, I would still go back to another era, even if it was just for afternoon tea. Wow. <laughs> this is uh that was really good. Thanks. Written by Maddie Richards, written and I guess we should say performed. It, yeah, I guess I you, guess you could say cuz that was like a piece of work. That was a piece of art. That was a piece of work. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> it sounds bad when you put it that way, but that was a piece of work. No, you know what you are. You're a piece of work. I know. You're a romantic. I Holy am. cow. I am. I about threw a bucket of water on you. <laughs> Hey, it's good though. We no, it need... is. See, you don't know when you want to live. I know. You were choosing era, epic era, 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 era. I know. I'm just convinced that this is not. This was not the right time for no. me. No, you're not supposed you to know. live right here, right now. No, you were supposed to like live back Who in knows? the cold <laughs> days in of the, the Renaissance. <laughs> I took one of those Bud, Buzzfeed quizzes, and I was supposed to live in. Italian Renaissance. See, no, and you, then you talk about the curls, and but <laughs> your curls are easier now. I know, but wouldn't it have been so fun when that was all you had to no, do all day. No, worry about no. curling your hair. You, now you have an iPhone. You can do stupid things on your iPhone you never needed to do before. I know it's true. But, but see, hey, look how creative your mind is. I know, and that's the whole point: is that I came to be so imaginative in yeah, um, my time period that I was supposed to live in because of reading. Yeah. And but it's always kind of dressed. It's always about how you dress, where you'll sit, the stairs you'll climb. It, it was always about like romantic ideas that you could tell were like just dropped in your head like a little seed. Yeah. But I also, you know, would have been the heroine of some. Oh, you, totally. I know. Do you I, think you, do you think you'll be able to get married to oh. somebody, I guess, that's not like wearing tights and <laughs> button up boots? <laughs> Yeah, you know. we'll be fine. You think you think so? Yeah, don't worry about me, Matt. That was seriously good. Thank you. I learned a lot about you. I know, more than you wanted to know. Well, actually, we're going to be playing on that for a long time, yeah. I have a feeling. Great. In a good way, of course. Okay, perfect. <laughs> well, I, I think it's true. And so parents out there, getting your kids to read opens yeah. up a whole new world. And then how cute is that? Your mom shows the, you the video. Yeah, so we would yeah. – Pick a book every summer to read together and or a couple if we would get through them quickly. And, you know, Anne of Green Gables, mm. Little House on the Prairie, yeah. Little Women, all of a bunch of Jane Austens and Charles Dickens. And yeah. it was just wonderful to get to learn about history and also to feel that I could expand my creativity because right. I was reading all of these famous authors who were incredible, incredible authors and painting these word pictures. And yeah. Well, what's cool, and you could tell, too, how well you did it because look how creative the piece was. <laughs> oh, thank I mean, you. Seriously, it works. It works. Good job, Maddie. Maddie's uh, – she's here all year. Maddie will be with us all year. I, I will be till forever. Until we, we get rid of her. No. Until we get you married. I, no. Until no. <laughs> something happens. Good work, Maddie. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Brooke Walker, a producer, a TV personality who – it's the great joy of being creative every single day. Tons of stress there. Let's see what she's learned. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about creativity and cultivating creativity. And even as I sit here, I watch my team dancing like it's, I don't know, 1987. Yeah, right there, a little disco from Mike Pond. Uh, I think they're trying to create some more creative energy in the room. Actually, I'm just getting more of a, I don't know, little stomachache. Oh, and now Maddie's going to shake it. Nope. Okay, Maddie's sitting back down. Okay, well, I guess I blew up their creativity. I didn't mean to. I mean, but when you start dancing like that, and especially because I didn't know, I just had to say something. Welcome back, folks. This is the show on creativity today. We're, We're getting into a subject I think everybody you know, can use a little more creativity. Even as I work with clients and help them try to talk through issues, a lot of us are just so dead set on not thinking any other way but the way we've always thought. So wouldn't it be powerful if we could create, um, you know, more creative conversation, more creative life? So throughout the show, we've been talking about that. Our, Our next guest is a good friend of mine. She's a host, a television host, an executive producer, of Studio 5 with Brooke Walker, which is – it's an award-winning show uh, in Salt Lake City. It's – it's I, she'll never brag, but let's just say it's the best show in the history of the world in Salt Lake City. I just said that. And so um, she's also a, a key resource at KSL um, on the news team there. She also works with Operation Smile and Primary Children's Medical Center and does a lot uh, to help uh, raise money and just and partner with these great organizations with a great cause. But more importantly, Brooke has a husband, a great family, a great marriage, a great life, and she has to be creative every single day. So Brooke Walker, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, boy, that was quite the setup. I hope I can live up to that. Oh, well, you know what? You already are. Oh, well, thank you so much. Because I don't know how you do it. Uh, I think you've got it hard. Do you? Yeah. Well, I mean, you have a big staff of people that you just kind of like, you just wave your magic wand and they all <laughs> jump and everything. Yeah, if yeah. only it were so. You know what? I do have a great team. And I will say creativity. I was so excited to hear you were talking about this because that's like at the center of what we yeah. produce and plan around every single day. We're a lifestyle show. Yeah. So we do all sorts of creative stuff. And you've got creative people, thinkers that yeah. are. Yeah. And I'm amazed. People are so darn creative if they allow themselves to right. be. And I'm always just blown away by people's minds and how they're able to open it up and just do something really impressive and really unique. Well, what do you learn from that? Because sometimes when I, like I'm on your show every week and you just kind of allow me to be creative my way, and then I come on, and then you have to learn my way and be and absorb it. <laughs> but how do you um, – there's got to be a point where you look at some people, and they've gone, like, too creative. You know they've what I mean? gone, like, off the deep end? Yeah, you're like, whoa, back that down. Let's, let's teach them something that they can do. Yeah, maybe, but here's the thing about that. Even when people take it way too far down the road, like, yeah. let's say they go 80 miles in the wrong direction – Somebody's going to be inspired by the first 10 miles, right? That's so sometimes true, huh? those far out thinkers, it, it takes people like that to spark the rest of us to even edge out a little bit. Yeah. No, I think that's dead on. And I mean, if we stretch it out a little bit, you know, some will go all the way with them and some just will go a few minutes with them, huh? Right. Exactly. But there are some things that I've observed creative people have in common. What? Like if you look at okay. all yeah. sorts of, you know, whether it be relationships, contributors like you yeah because no, you, you sit there all day you see all these contributors yeah. okay what do they have in yeah. common so the first one is i think creative people are 
fearless, which I love that word. They're just really? fearless. Like they always live with the idea, what's the worst that can happen? Uh-huh. What is really the worst that can happen? And they're not afraid to try and they're not afraid to fail, which is also an important part of creativity that sometimes we're scared of. That, I, I think that's so true. And in fact, you can you can sometimes sense it on your show because on your show you have people that that are coming just to share their passion and you know they're passionate. And then sometimes you have people that have actually purchased a segment. Yeah. And they, they've paid for the segment, so it's more of an advertisement. And right. there's a, and the, almost inevitably they're kind of afraid. And right. um, and so it's it's weird that you can't fake it. You kind of either possess it, that fearlessness that you're talking about, or yeah. you don't. And sometimes just saying the word, I think, kind of evokes people's like, wow, I'm fearless. Like, say I'm going to go into this project or I'm going to go into this conversation or I'm going to go into this relationship and just be fearless. And it almost gives us an inner sense of courage. I tried this recently on a very watered-down scale. I was redecorating my master bedroom. Whoa. Have I talked to you about this? No. And I decided I was really drawn to the color cobalt blue. Okay. Really? Cobalt blue, like, yeah. forget the idea of bedrooms being soothing and calm. No, you and, want to wake up and be like, whoa. Whoa, it's blue. Yeah, cobalt. So I did it with yeah. the idea, this fearless mentality, like with the idea, what's the worst that can happen? It's just paint, right? Sure, I just sure. would have to paint over it. Well, you could blind um, someone. Yeah, I mean, there's that. You yeah. Know, Mark could wake up with a seizure every morning because he's living and sleeping in a <laughs> that blue room. That would be bad, yeah. I, I actually think I figured out what the worst thing is. What? And that you decide to sell your house two weeks later, and now you're just praying somebody else wishes that they live. Oh, in a no way. But anyway, I really I really appreciated the exercise to just be fearless and go with what I wanted to do and what yeah. I maybe didn't yeah. dare to do. And I love it. I really love it. Do you love it? See, because I've had the same trouble trying to buy. I'm buying new eyeglasses, a whole yes. new image for me. And yes. I it took me forever. Because I couldn't make a decision. I tried everything on, like literally four and a half hours. And then I brought my daughter to come help me. And in in 10 minutes, we had a decision made. Did you go with a Lester Holt, rims all the way around? I did, a little Lester Holty. Yeah. Nice. It's great. But they're huge. I wanted them big like Elton John. Which now it means you're a hipster. You're officially an Elton John hipster. Totally hipster. And I'm starting to wear uh, skinny jeans. uh, Low-waist skinny jeans. What color? You name it. Cobalt blue? Mm-hmm. Now cobalt blue. You are such a mm-hmm. So fearless. Okay. Yeah. I buy that. Another thing I think creative people do really well is they pay attention to their five senses. Yeah. Like we're so visually stimulated. We're, you know, between Pinterest and that's kind of a woman thing, I realize. But yeah. just there is, we're inundated with so many visual images that I think we kind of relied too much on what we see. Mm-hmm. But creative people are able to tap into the other senses, like what they smell and what they hear and what they feel and what they touch. Yeah. We did a creative photo challenge. It's been a couple of years now, Studio 5. But it was for all these photo moms out there with nice cameras who were feeling like they were stuck in a rut. Mm-hmm. And the challenge was to photograph your senses. So Oh, really? Smell, take a picture of that. You touch and it's, you know. Oh, soft. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and it really, I think, cracks people's minds open to this different idea of creativity. That it's not just what you see yeah. or what you experience, but it's those subtle, subtle creative jolts in your day that we sometimes ignore. They, In fact, they have a name. Some people have what's called hypersensitivity. And ah. People that are hypersensitive tend to be a little more anxious, even a little mm-hmm. depressive. So if you think that mm-hmm. a lot of times when we have this concept of a creative person, they might be hypersensitive. But these people have a really strong sense of smell, of taste, of sound. Sounds bug them. So in a weird way, you might be onto something. But by the way, these people are highly creative. 
Yes. They also then so sometimes they end up needing some type of medication to decrease their sensitivities because they feel uh-huh. so profoundly. Uh huh. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you got it. One more. Can I share? Yeah, one more? please. You got more. I think creative people regularly recharge, and I'm not great at this, but then again, I'm not very creative. However, I have a senior producer on our staff, Stephanie Bryson. Yeah, Stephanie. love her. She is a perfect example of this because, you know, on TV we have this grind. Like we'll record a show in the morning and then we have to turn around and, you know, get ready for the next day's show. You're, yep. you're on this hamster wheel of production, right? So every day after we record our show, we do it in the morning. Um, she will always, no matter what time we finish, she will take a walk and she'll go down the street to the Maverick that's just a block away. Yeah. And she'll fill up her soda cup. And what's so interesting is we have free soda machines in the building. Like on every floor, there's a soda machine. But she's smart enough to break That's away from great the, idea. the studio yeah, yeah. to walk and to soak it in and to go down and just recharge that way. And that helps her kind of get a creative boost. Is, see, it's interesting. They put the soda machine in the biz, in your company to keep you there. Right. But she's like, hey, that's a trap. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. That's smart. I do that, she's too. very creative. I just want to get away. I just don't want to be around anybody. Right. But then, you know, then you got to go home. And then you've got kids and a wife. I mean, that sounds bad, but like I can feel really creative by myself too. It's true. It's true. But you got to recharge. How do you, do you recharge? Yeah, like because you you sent home. me an email. Yeah. Saturday night. I think it was Saturday. Night. I mean, I'm thinking, Brooke, <laughs> quit working, Brooke. You know what that was? What was that? That was that moment of like, yeah, oh, you, oh, I got to remember that. Yeah, and so I just yeah. did it. You can always do that to me, by the way, just so you know. Oh, I, thanks. I felt bad bothering no, you. No, it wasn't a bother. A no, no, no. Saturday no. night. Yeah, no, no. I was probably driving a carpool. Were you? That's how hot it is at the yeah. towns and home. <laughs> well, hey, that's creative right It's a right party there. a minute. No, but I. That's a, this creativity thing, I always, your show is, is about that. Is it hard to corral all of these creative folks? Um, yes and no. I think, you know, people always, well, the people we'll, we're bringing in, like, like you touched on, they're really super creatively charged. Yeah. And so sometimes there is a watering down process, like, now hold on. Yeah. Let's really, you know, take this down and back and it up. How the, yeah, back it up. <laughs> how the everyday woman or, or, or viewer can actually make this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, it takes a realist and a dreamer and you put them together and you get something practical, right? Yeah. You know, I was just thinking, oh, my team, oh, yeah, uh, my team's, like, giving me all these ideas to ask you. Hey, um, here's the deal. So you sit with these creative people all day long, but then you you take some of the ideas home. Like, I look at your I look at your um, Instagram, which everybody needs to go look up Brooke Walker, Brooke with an E, by the way, <laughs> Brooke Walker. And But do you ever just sit there and say, I'm not using any of that? Because I know you did the cobalt blue thing. And that, yeah, I do you, that. Do, do you just ever... Like disconnect. How do you go truly recharge, and or is all of this creativity from everyone else something that you actually do get excited about? I, I get excited about it. I don't. Everyone always asks because at least one. You know, every day on the show we're doing at least one project, one recipe, one. 
I don't go home and do all of that. No. But I think when you're exposed to a lot, you're able to better pick and choose what would work for you or what right. really appeals to you. So maybe it's because I'm inundated with all the ideas and the creativity that I can be a little more selective about it and not feel so overwhelmed. Yeah. But I think people would be really disappointed if they came to my house or came over for dinner because there's not a handmade wreath on my door. It's no. totally bought. And half the time, the dinner will be too. So, you know, you kind of have to escape it in your own way. <laughs> but you know what? If they want fun, they're not there for the meal. They're there for the cobalt blue. That's right. Come to my bedroom and just look at my blue well, walls. I, I almost said that, and then I realized how that would come out. Yeah, yeah see, right. I said it come for you. Come to my bedroom. Thank yeah, you. It's weird. See, when you say <laughs> that, you have to quickly get to see the cobalt blue. Right. You have to throw it in there to see yeah. the walls. Yeah. It's funny. I look at your friends. I look at your mom. I look at your sisters. I look at all of that, and I think... Your poor father. Oh, my gosh. Bless his heart. Because there's so soul. many women and ideas and creativity. Some of your friends that I know your close friends are like they're out there in creative land. I know. They're out of control. They're constantly changing their homes, yeah. changing, redecorating their rooms. Oh. They're photographers. They're crafters. I know. They're, I mean, but the truth is you surround, you surround yeah. yourself by those people and it does start to rub off a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Right? You're even – you're aware – I mean – when I sit next to you on set, your clothes are always at least 50 degrees hotter than mine. <laughs> well, that's your colors are vivid. Yeah. And the glasses, that's going to totally take I know. Yeah, I think that's I think that's going to you'll see. I think that'll start to tip the show from here on out. Do you consider yourself you're creative? I'm super creative. Yeah. Uh yeah. But see, I think you have to figure out how you how you are creative. Like I know my rules. Like, I can create a segment for your show in literally, I can think the idea out in about three minutes, and then I have to write it out, and that takes longer. But, I believe it. But, but I, can, I can only do it in the morning. So in the morning, so I have zone. to think it through all night, and I know in the morning, boom, I get up, start a writing. Because you're churning out so much content. And I know. So, I mean, you're constantly just crying. Your brain's probably just conditioned to think like that. Yeah. It's it's warped. Let's just be real. <laughs> It's totally warped. Creativity equals warp. Warpage. Brooke, you're the best. You did hey, it. That was fun. That was way fun. Go give uh, Mark a hug. You know, just go hug him. Maybe put those goggles on him so he can't see the wall and then just go to bed. <laughs> and I can't wait to see your glasses. Will you be wearing them I will. I'm, I may be bringing them Friday. Depends if they come in by then. Can't Just wait. think Elton John. That's all you need to think. Oh, boy. Feather? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Feather in my hat. Brooke Walker, it. you're the best. Thanks. Check her out on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. She's on everything. Brooke with an E Walker. Also go to KSL.com. You can uh, look her up there and Studio 5 as well. We're taking a break. We're coming back. We're going to wrap this up, see how creative Mike Pond has gotten with the I Likey the Mikey update. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. That's the hoedown music. We're having our own little hoedown here in the studio. Everybody's dancing but me. If Somebody's got to carry the show. I'm joined by Michael Pond, dancer extraordinaire, and the host of the I Likey the Mikey uh, dating segment that we do on the show. Again, months ago, we threw out this idea, hey, who wants to date my producer? And we had 220 young ladies, some older, just say, hey. I like you, the Mikey. 
So Mike's supposed to date these young ladies, but he's been very busy. And yet um, he actually threw together a date recently. So here is Mike Pond on a date. Here we are live. This is Mike Pond reporting in the field for the Matt Townsend Show. It's about 6.58 Saturday night, and I am going on my way to pick up one of my dates. Are you trying Yeah, I am. And, uh, we, Don't do that ever. I tried illegal. to schedule something with her a little earlier in the week, but we had to reschedule a few times, and finally we landed right here on Saturday night. Mackenzie. We're going to go yeah. out to dinner. Mackenzie's a real nice girl. She's from Monterey, California. She works at the church office building in Salt Lake City. And we'll see uh, We'll see what happens tonight. Hmm. So I took the recorder with me, and I had it in my pocket. Did she know you were recording? No. You know, it's illegal. It's, it's legal in Utah. She wasn't home when I showed up, so her roommate lets me in. Okay. Yes. Sounds like she lives in a prison. Yeah, the microwave was on. Okay. Turned it off. And then Mackenzie finally showed up. Huh. Yeah, sorry. You don't feel like you need to entertain me. Hi. There she is. This is what a date sounds like. She sounds lovely. She's wonderful. So we're in the car. We're deciding okay. where to go, where to eat. I didn't plan that. You guys that. move fast, yeah. though. I could do Hispanic with you. I could do Hispanic, Thai, or Indian. Those would be my top three. Huh. Not very picky. No. <laughs> this <laughs> always happens. She's great. Okay, name the restaurants that you have in mind. And maybe that'll help us um, decide. Where do you so like? Uh, McDonald's. Yeah. So I was recording this for like 15 minutes okay. in the car. She had no idea. And I, we're just trying to decide some places to go. Usually you should have some more planned ahead of time. Yeah, I, I would have been creative before the date and maybe had, had two or three. Yeah. Yeah. That's just an idea. You're talking okay, chimichanga. Okay. Let's yeah. go Indian or Thai. Okay. Ooh. Or no, you didn't say Thai. You said Indian. No, Thai is great. Where is a good Thai place? Oh boy, you didn't even I have a place. Good. I had a few in mind. Okay. Well, she's great. So. What do you want me to do? What? <laughs> what? Or the radio? Yeah, you're on the radio right now. So that's when you, Are you serious? told her you've been yeah. recording her. <laughs> I'm one of your experiments? Listen, this, this is, is funny. I thought this was your personal life. I thought this wasn't just business. Huh. Well, I'm mixing both. Okay. Mixing pleasure with business. Mm. I'm going to turn it off now. I didn't hear it the first time through, but right at the air, in, in there, Jessica told me, uh, she says, oh, as long as you're you're getting some pleasure in there. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. He's shamelessly flirting with me. It was horrible. It's cute. She's, yeah. So, See, Jess had to walk you through that and say, there's a little flirting right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I could tell. You could tell. Yeah. I knew, She's I knew what great. was going on. This could be the one. Possibly. Could be. And where did you finally eat? Because I'm really hungry right now. Thai Palace. Mmm. Really good food. Yeah. But so, so the point that we want to, you know, get from that yeah, are you going to marry her? That's the no, point. No, no, no. Cre- oh. Creativity. You know? you, do you feel you went about this creatively? You know what? I think I did a little bit, but I kind of want, you know, 
most guys stress out about, oh, yeah. my gosh, we're going out with yeah. uh, Stacy on Thursday. Right. What am I going to do? I have to plan this perfect activity, yeah. and I have to plan this perfect event. You know, what, what is Stacy going to like to do? I say it doesn't matter. You know, you shouldn't st- – don't stress yeah. about it. We can make this up together. Dating doesn't have to be terribly creative. You know, it takes I a... think you're actually right there. So uh, I I knew that we were going out. Yeah. Uh, I'd been busy that day, and I kind of had a few different ideas in mind. Okay, I I feel kind of like Mexican food or yeah. Yeah. Uh, Asian food, and I said, okay, hey, where would you like to go? What sounds good to you? And we just kind of decided on a place. Yeah. Not a lot of stress. It Mm-mm. went well. You could hear she was laughing. So She laughed. Did she yeah. laugh through the whole thing, or is that why you cut it off? Is because right after you brought up that you were recording it, did she quit laughing, and now we ran out of recording? No, no. She kept on laughing. Okay, so it went the whole night. Yeah. Did you do anything after dinner? Yes, we did. Where'd you go? We went to a mutual friend's house and watched uh, the first two episodes of Hannibal. Horrible. Don't see it. Wow. Now, what was was like saying, hey, let's go watch this gruesome, horrible movie? What, what, like, drew you to that? I mean, where? Well, so Jacob, our mutual friend, and I actually should have put the audio in there, but he, we gave him a ride in the car there. And so I've got a really small truck. It's only got three seats in it. So just the three of you. Yeah. Did she scoot over to the middle or was just you and Jacob sitting by each other? No, she scooted over to the middle. That would have been funny, though. She sounds wonderful. Oh, yeah. She's great. So what are your rules for creativity? What else do we do? Creative dating, um, if if, you kind of like to make it up as you go. Well, no, not necessarily, but to make things easier, do things that that you want to do. So if you, uh, you know, and it makes it a lot easier. It's, I it know sounds that sounds selfish, bad. It does, but it's not. You're it's st- not. So, so I want to go to the batting cages. Okay, I haven't right. been to the batting cages in a well, long time. And did Mackenzie want to go? Yes, she did. You know, once I asked her, oh yeah, that'd be great. Let's yeah. go to the batting cages. So we go to the batting cages. Really? And uh, that's you know, always fun. Yeah, and so you can be more of yourself. And you can see how somebody else is going to react yeah. to you. and Because yeah. when you're dating, the first initial dates, you're all putting on these different kinds of facades and, and uh, you're trying to impress each other. Yeah. It relaxes it a lot more if you're not stressing about what you're going to do on the date. Well, plus you get to show off what a man you are with a bat. Exactly. Or let's say you want to go ice skating. I, I play hockey. I yeah. want to practice. So let's yeah. go ice skating. And you don't have to necessarily think, okay, what is Stacy yeah. going to like to do? Or what What should I plan about? That's good advice. Yeah. See, we think you don't know what you're doing, but you're all over it. You have a science here. I should write a book. You should. Or a blog or something. You should write a blog, which yeah. is a mix between a book and a blog. Good. So, well, well done. Thank you. We got to let you go. We're done. Okay, it yeah. was that simple. That is easy. I like you the Mikey. Just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Surprise her. Record her. Stuff like that. Do what you like to do. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff that you don't think would come together, it but works. it does if you're very creative. Thanks for joining us, folks. That's the show. Creativity. Get out there. Start having some success in the morning. Use your creativity in the morning. It'll carry you all throughout the rest of the day, just as our great guests have taught us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back tomorrow. Right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.